This is a test of the emergency podcast system. This is only a test. Hello and welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter. And today we are discussing chapter 10 of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. This chapter is titled The Magician's Book, not his nephew. And I will probably say it wrong at least once throughout this episode. I, of course, am Nick Bottom with my head turned into that of a donkey also known as Kristen, and this is my co-host. I'm Marjorie Preston. Oh, Marjorie. Mm-hmm. So and nice of you to stop by today. Yeah, Lucy's like, Lucy's all right, I guess. Okay. But I got kind of tired of her. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> anyway, I'm also known as Chris. Lewis gets tired of her too, because every time he starts talking about just her in a story, he interrupts the chapter like 70 times more than any of the other chapters. Yep. Which is something that I have a rant about. Anyway... <laughs> How do, we start this, how do we start this podcast, Chris? We usually summarize. We find okay. five sentences in the chapter that we use to summarize the chapter and use that as a, as a jumping off point for discussing it. Whoa. Don't you know we're not supposed to repeat words in this podcast? Wow, that's, that's a <laughs> challenge I'm not sure I'm ready for. Uh, you can officially say, I cannot, can officially not say I anymore. Wow. <laughs> anyway, with all of that said... Who should start the summary? Uh, I'll go first. All right, go for it. Why the heck not? All right, so my summary is as follows. Then, after being instructed by the chief voice about what she was to do upstairs, she bid goodbye to the others, said nothing, walked to the bottom of the stairs, and began going up them without once looking back. She went up to the desk and held her hand on the book, Her fingers tingled when she touched it as if it were filled with electricity. But when she looked back at the opening words of the spell, there in the middle of the writing, where she felt quite sure there had been no picture before, she found the great face of a lion, of the lion, Aslan himself, staring into hers. But here, part of the magic of the book came into play. And he was solid and real and warm, and he let her kiss him and bury herself in his shining mane. So you didn't actually talk about her uninvisibling anything? Uh, yeah, uh, I mean... I mean, it's kind of a major plot point. It is a major plot, plot point. Like, it's the whole reason she went upstairs. But there was no good sentence that described that. It's like, I mean, there's one line that's like she... It, yeah. How about I read my summary and yeah. I'll tell you the line. Yeah, you go for it. <laughs> but we actually did not duplicate any sentences, I believe. Wow. Or we might have had one, but... Yeah, no, we didn't repeat any sentences. All right, here's mine. When Lucy woke up the next morning, it was like waking up on the day of an examination or a day when you are going to the dentist. Lucy could hardly tear herself away from the first page, but when she turned over, the next was just as interesting. She turned on and found, to her surprise, a page with no pictures at all, but the first words were, A spell to make hidden things visible. For what stood in the door was Aslan himself, the lion, the highest of all high kings. We must meet the master of the house. Cool. Uh, I think we're getting better at the summary thing. Uh, <laughs> Rose took a different turn. I, I I was trying to do a little poetic thing with mine, but, uh, there you, you know. Cool. So this is a weird chapter. A little bit. A lot this... of, so a lot of stuff happens here. This is the tempting of Lucy. Uh, Yes, and I have some stuff to get into with the with the last temptation of Lucy, uh, <laughs> as it relates to what sin this island could be. However, we'll get there. We open up with the feast. Yes, the invisible folk have offered a feast up to the, uh, you know, the crew, uh, Edmund, Eustace, and Lucy, and Caspian, which I believe are the ones that are all there. Yeah, seems and Reaper cheap. And Reapsheep, of course. How could we forget Reapsheep? At least to them. There might be more from the actual ship there, but... So yeah, we open up with a really really odd feast, and we discover something about the invisible folk. That when they hold food trays, those don't become invisible like their spears do. Crazy, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, that's... I'm... 
I can't see that as anything but a plot hole. Like <laughs> it kind of has it's to It's an be. inconsistency rather yeah. than a plot hole, but mm-hmm. it's an inconsistency. However, they also appear to be uh, progressing around by jumping. Seems like at least 15 feet in the air. It's a very high ceiling inside of this Apparently. house. Yeah, very high ceiling, and they are jumping at least 15 feet in the air. And then Eustace and Edmund have this conversation about whether or not they're human at all and are just like, maybe they're big grasshoppers or like... Don't tell Lucy. Yeah. Don't don't tell Lucy. Yeah, because Lucy can deal with a lot of stuff, but giant grasshoppers, no. <laughs> not a thing. Uh, or frogs or something, and so we, we don't really find out anything more there. Just some, some interesting speculation about what these Lovecraftian monstrosities are, actually. Because um, we established that they are in the last chapter, obviously. <laughs> Uh, however, it was a pleasant meal. Apparently. Nonetheless, even though the soup It was messy. Gets, yeah, soup got spilled everywhere. Why, as people just, as people who jump everywhere. Yes. Why would you prepare soup? Or at least not have a solution for transporting soup. That I didn't mean, get like, it it's not like you just started jumping. Uh-huh. And you're still used to having things that you can carry. Yeah. Like. Why would there be soup? Or why wouldn't why? you have some sort of closed soup vessel? Yes. Why? Uh, also, the conversation was dull because all they did was agree with the, you know, them and make very dull and boring statements. Yes, but they made statements that anyone could agree with. Yes. Water. It's powerful wet stuff. <laughs> Getting dark now. Always does at night. Yep. Ah, <laughs> uh, so that, I don't know, what is that, what, what have we learned about the invisible people, really? That like, they're dumb. <laughs> that they're apparently really dumb. Uh... That I mean, I'll go into a bit this uh, a bit of this in my baseless speculation, but it almost seems like, at least, except for the chief voice, they they don't really have agency. Mm-hmm. I like would they, say that's absolutely fair. Yeah, like they. I don't want to say they're not conscious, but yeah, they they don't have agency or creativity or free will. Maybe, and they're just like parroting things that other people have said yeah mm-hmm. so so this is like lewis's opinion on like contemporary writers yeah they, they are <laughs> they are the book's version of kinku uh which if you don't know uh kinku are you know an old i believe japanese legend but also race in D D. and in D D lore the kinku technically don't have any original thoughts okay and they speak, and they can hold conversations, but they take other people's voices and just take other th- people's things they've said. Yeah. And they're just mimics. Okay. So. That's not a thing I was aware of. <laughs> yeah. I need to play more D&D with Kinkus <laughs> in it. Yeah. Uh, fun deep lore. But anywho, uh, so the, maybe there's something like that. But the real, sh- the real story in the chapter here is what Lucy does. And Lucy wakes up the next morning. It's a delightful morning, but it feels like the morning before going to the dentist. Like she's nervous and apprehensive, and she is going into the house. And she brushes her teeth like five times. <laughs> she's already in the house. She's going up the well, stairs. Well, going up the stairs, yes. So she goes up the stairway and finds a lot of weird things up there. Yes. And she comes into this large, long hallway. And she has to walk to the last door on the left. The last door on the left. Of this walk. carpeted hallway in which her feet make no sound. Yep. So, kind of explains how the magician can creep around without making any sound. It's like pretty a big easy, cat. pretty easy, isn't it? Yep. And he could be in any room. So okay. she passes several rooms going in. Yep. And also gets startled about four doors deep. Well, yeah. She b- b- before then, I do want to point out that we do find a lot of entry interesting masks on the walls. Yes. So there's a like twisty, complicated symbols over all the doorways, and then she finds a series of masks. There that are not exactly ugly, but are you know have empty high holes like a mask traditionally would, and really creepy. So there's bat masks up here for some reason, and then she finds this weird mirror. Yes, the bearded mirror that she gets startled by, which of course Luz doesn't know anything about. Uh, nor does the narrator because which you know. I meant, which is what I meant. <laughs> yeah, okay. The, the narrator doesn't know anything about because the narrator's not a magician. Nope. Finally have some character development yes. for the narrator. We we have discovered that he's not a magician. He knows a lot about horses. 
really loves into the sea. sea. Loves the sea and seagulls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. And is very interested in communicating the proper, like, sailing ship. Uh, yes. Port versus starboard, by the way. Has uh-huh. that come up once in this book? Uh, when he says, you got to get it into your head now in, like, chapter two. Gosh, no, it really hasn't. No, hasn't been mentioned at all. Hasn't been mentioned at all. Just want to make sure that you know it hasn't been mentioned at all. You seem upset by this. Well, I mean, if you're going to go out of your way to educate people on this and say, you better get this in your head right now before reading this book, mm-hmm. and then not use it in the book. Yeah. We are we are in chapter 10 of 16 chapters. Maybe that was like an artifact from like an early draft that didn't get taken out during editing where he was just like, you know what, we're going to spend way more time on the ship in this book. And, like, that anyway. all went by the wayside except for that one throwaway line in the beginning. Anyway, narrator's character development. Yeah, super fun. And she finds the the bearded mirror and reaches the last door on the left and wonders if, while she was in this hallway, it somehow got longer than it was before. And Chris got really excited <laughs> that this could be like a hallway in House of Leaves. It's been so long since I made a House of Leaves reference on it's this podcast. It's true. It has been a minute. Oh, man. But see, now I'm, I just started to read a book about magicians, so we're going to... Yes, have you. So we'll see if I start referencing that one. We'll see. We'll when see. We, when we meet the master of the house at some point. Indeed. But she goes in the last room on the left and finds a magic book. Many, many books, but there's one magic book. Indeed. It's laid up in the desk. We don't know that it's the only magic book in the room, but we do know that all of these fat and thin and old and new books that are in there, that she just needs to ignore all of them and go straight to the book on the table. Mm -hmm. She tries to close the door behind her. It won't shut. Yes. It's a fun factoid. And then she opens the book, starts looking through it, and there's all sorts of cool stuff in here. Like... A bunch of interesting things happen in the book. Yeah, I'd like to read this sentence, if I may. Go for it. And on she went for about 30 pages, which, if she could have remembered them, would have taught her how to find buried treasure, how to remember things forgotten, how to forget things you wanted to forget, how to tell whether anyone was speaking the truth, how to call up or prevent wind, fog, snow, sleet, or rain, how to produce enchanted sleeps, and how to give a man an ass's head like they did to poor bottom. Which, of course, is a reference to Nick Bottom from A Midsummer Night's Dream, who had his head turned into that of a donkey by Puck. I was trying to place the reference, and I didn't get there, so thank you for looking that up. You're welcome. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's an interesting mix. Like, the very first thing that she finds is, like, oh, a cure for warts or cramps or toothaches, etc., etc. Yeah. Uh, a spell for taking a swarm of bees, which I'm not sure exactly what that means. <laughs> like... Does that mean stealing a swarm of bees? Or does that mean, like, generating a swarm of bees? It's a it's what? a weird turn of Show phrase. Me. <laughs> right here in the bottom of the page. And a spell for taking a swarm of bees. Interesting. So, I, I'm not... I want to f- see if that... Because <laughs> it wasn't a line that caught me. Uh-huh. And so I feel like maybe yours... Maybe there's a typo for taking a swarm of bees. No, it says the same thing in my copy. Yeah. So... Well, if any of you listeners out there know what that means, please get back to us. Maybe take them on in a fight? Yeah, I, I, I really know what we're doing with the bees here. <laughs> bees? Bees. It's a board game we bought recently. Yes, it is. It's fun. Recommend bees to anyone out there who's looking for a fun board game. <laughs> so anywho, she looks through the book, and it's an interesting mix of magic in here, because it seems like there's a lot of things that are very helpful. Yes. And like this is useful and benevolent magic. And then there's, like, you know, things that are more questionable, like how to turn somebody's head into the head of an ass. Yes, so but it's uh, also literature references, so, Literature references, you know. yeah. <laughs> and then she found finds a page that uh, says, It's an infallible spell to make beautiful her that uttereth it beyond the lot of mortals. And I think this is an interesting section here for several reasons. Would you like to say anything? about this one uh, i i don't know i don't know how i feel about it because like obviously like everyone wants to look good at some point in their life and like we've also commented earlier on in the book 
that Susan got to go to America because she was the pretty one. Like <laughs> That's who they send to America. The, the pretty, the pretty ones. Yeah, send the pretty ones to America. <laughs> like And so I just feel like there's a certain amount of like Lucy being like, Oh well I missed out on an opportunity because of the fact that my sister was more beautiful. Mm-hmm. But then also, like, she's here in Narnia, and her sister's just off in America. Like, so who really missed out? Um, well, Susan knows she knew she couldn't go back in the first place. So. Yeah, but whatever. <laughs> anyway, so I just think that that's... <sighs> Lucy's character has never been established to be a vain character. Mm-hmm. And so... Like, yeah, everyone has some amount of vanity that they, they like, want to look good or they want to feel good in some way. Mm-hmm. But Lucy's thing, like, I just don't feel like Lucy's thing has ever been beauty. Like, that's never been Lucy's thing. So it seemed it seemed like an inconsistent character moment for me. Uh-huh. Like, I'm, 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 I don't want to go on about, like, the sexism and stuff like that because, like, that just, that's a script that writes itself. Mm-hmm. But, like, when we have a character who has never been, like, worried about how she looked mm-hmm. to this point. Like, I can't think of any examples of Lucy being vain about appearances. Yeah. The only thing I can think of is Lucy being like, uh, okay, Trumpkin, like, I can actually help you. Just let me help you. It's not that I'm a girl. It's that I have the ability to help you or whatever. Yeah. Like, so there's there's stuff like that, but I just, I genuinely don't feel like this is in line with her character to be something that is as tempting as it is. Mm-hmm. Versus, the, like, the next spell that tempts her, what she actually does fall into I do feel like that one is somewhat consistent with her character because she didn't want to leave her siblings when she knew that she was supposed to follow Aslan and they didn't want to. She wanted to stay with them because she wanted to be, you know, with them. And that's a part of community that like that undermining of that with the uh, whole wanting to read people's minds and know what people are thinking about. Mm -hmm. Like that's consistent with Lucy's character. But, like, wanting to be more beautiful than Susan, like, the only part of that I feel like Lucy, that actually makes a little sense with Lucy, is that, like, she's getting power via this beauty. Uh-huh. And so, like, she sees Susan as getting things that Lucy didn't get to do, like, go to America or whatever, because she was pretty. And Lucy's seeing all of the things and the power that she would get and have by being beautiful. Yeah. And it's more about power in a certain way than it is about being pretty. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that's that's the closest thing I see with Lucy to having it be, like, a, I don't know, consistent with her character. Uh-huh. But Lucy's also never been the character that wanted power. She's not Edmund. Mm-hmm. Like, she, Lucy is the quiet, still, small, Holy Spirit voice all the time. Yeah. So... Yeah. Well, it could, I mean, it could also be sort of a coming of age thing where, like, this is something. This is what Susan went through. Yeah, this is something that maybe she's falling into. Like, as girls go through puberty, they get more concerned with, like, how they look and, like, you know, (laughs) vanity. And, like, it's, I I feel like it's a common enough thing that I can make that generalization. You should just say people, then. People. Because it's not just (laughs) girls. Yeah who go through puberty and are worried about what they look like. Yeah. It's every human being. Yeah, sure. Every human being. So it could be like a hair getting older thing, and this is like a temptation that she can fall into more easily now. But also, I'm surprised she didn't mention this, and this is why I wanted to talk about this passage in the first place, is that uh, Don Treader was written, uh, Magician's Nephew was written last, right? In no, Last for- Battle was written last, okay. I think. Was Don Treader written before Magician's Nephew? Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. So this was written before Magician's Nephew. And this whole pa- passage to me about the, the beautifying spell just uh, smacked of echoes of Jadis. Oh, so this is like a prequel to Jadis, you're thinking? Yes, and, and she looks in the book and has this whole vision of like, you know, her being this great queen that people are fighting over and the whole world goes to war and ends up in, you know laying waste to itself Mm. over you know her and her beauty yeah 
And if we go forward to the magician's nephew, we have her being introduced as, like, the most beautiful woman that Diggory had ever seen. Yeah, Jadis. And so this is, I think, maybe some foreshadowing of that. Okay. Of, like, this is one of the dangers of magic, and what if Lucy did get give into this and become, like, the most beautiful woman the world has ever seen and ends up destroying the world because of it, as Jadis did. Yeah. Well, it definitely shows that she would have destroyed her relationship with her sister. Mm-hmm. You know, because competition is just, like, bad. Um, so it does show the destructive elements of that power and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's still turning her into an object to be desired. And that's what produces the war and the problems. Yeah. Is because we're objectifying Lucy. And this is Lucy being tempted to objectify herself. Uh-huh. Which is... I don't know, just stupid and annoying. Maybe that's Lewis being progressive again. He's just being like the objectification of women is going to destroy the world. Like that's uh, that's the point he's making here. Hey, look at that time that Lewis accidentally made a point. <laughs> anyway, so we skip that one. She has a, a an internal conflict about it and a moral like qualm, but we we and don't maybe. Some divine intervention. Well, obviously some divine intervention because Aslan just shows up in the book uh, yep. looking angry. And she's just like, oh, well, I guess I shouldn't do this. And then she moves on to the next spell, which, you know, it seems less harmful. So she does decide to do this one. And this is a spell for finding out what your friends really think about you. Yep. Kristen, have you encountered this spell in a spell book? Never. <laughs> Never. You, you wouldn't use it? Never. Okay. I was like, I debated in my mind whether that was information that I would want to have. Nope. Because <laughs> there's, there's, you know, an old saying that uh, you can't unring a bell. Yep. And like, this is a bell I feel like couldn't be unrung. While so. you're, while you're <laughs> continuing to reference the magician's nephew. <laughs> oh, man. I guess that was unintentional, but yeah, sure. <laughs> and so she uses this bell. Yes. And she gets a vision of two of her friends on a train. Yes. She sees them. She sees a picture of them in the book mm-hmm. and then can suddenly hear them. Yep. And there's these two ladies who she thought were friends that are talking about her in a very night. Like, One of which not, that she thought was a friend for sure. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily kind way. And given that we like we can assume so far that the book is magical and the book at least has some element of like trying to ensorcel people or offer them things uh something that i thought at first was can we be sure that this is like an accurate vision well it's magic yes it is magic but it's like is this real or is this a fabrication of the magic of the book? I mean, it's following the rules of magic as we've encountered them yeah. thus far in Narnia. Yeah. It's real. Yeah. Well, which we establish later because Aslan says it is. Um, however, that was one of my first thoughts in reading it. Uh, so anyway, we Lucy finds out that her friends aren't I mean, really good. if the book was trying, if this was like a force of the book trying to control people and ensorcel them, it would show them things that they wanted, not things that would upset them about what they've done and stop them from continuing to use said magic. Unless it was really trying to tempt her to use the, like, beautifying spell. Well, it's too late now. She can't go back in the book. Yeah, so. that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you can't turn backward in the book. Which seems very odd. Uh-huh. It does. Like... So how did, so then my question becomes, obviously the invisible folk had gone up there, looked around for a spell, found the one to turn them visible again, used that, et cetera, et cetera. They wanted to find the beautifying spell. But couldn't get there. But they were too afraid to go long enough through the book. Yes. But they found the invisible spell. But when Lucy goes up and into the room, she starts at the front of the book again. Yes, because the book is closed. But also... When she reads the story, the story disappears off the page. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that the book is just magic yeah. and that it shows what it wants to show. Yeah. Is the book sentient? Uh, anyway, is it a horcrux? Probably. All these, all these questions we could ask ourselves. 
so she finds out that her friends aren't really like all that great uh and then gets really upset about that moves on cries an angry tear into the book and now the book has her tears Jeez, if we've learned anything from Dresden, is that's a bad time. It is a bad time. She's going to have issues with that later. <laughs> Anywho, so then we find the next part of the book, which tells her a lovely story. For the refreshment which, of the spirit? For the refreshment of the spirit. And it's a story about a cup and a sword and a tree and a green hill. Yep. What do you think this story is? What do you think this story is, Chris? <laughs> At first, I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. But then, <laughs> but then what, Chris? But then toward the end of the book, um, she so Lucy reads this and, like, finds it amazing and, like, so refreshing to her spirit, et cetera, et cetera, moves on, but then can't remember the story. Mm-hmm. And then later on, Aslan shows up, spoilers, Aslan shows up at the end of the chapter and she's just like, but what about that really amazing story that I can't remember? Can you tell that to me? And Aslan's like, I'll be telling you that one for years and years. Yeah. And and that made me think, like, this is a, a reference to the Jesus story. Whoa. Which, if I were to find four words to sum up the Jesus story, I would not say cup, cup sword, sword, tree, tree and, and green hell. Yeah. Like... Tree and Green now, Hill, sure. with that said, if you had to sum up the Jesus story uh-huh. in four words, uh-huh. what four words would you choose? Oh, man. I didn't actually think of a good one for this. Um, I would probably say uh, one would be Dove. Maybe. Heavy-handed symbolism of peace. Yeah. Because so there isn't, like, the, peace is not exactly the image that I would conjure into mind in the Jesus story. Well, I, I was thinking more of, like, a, you know, if you were to sum up the entire narrative into four moments and tell, like, a chronological story, because this is how I think of things. Yeah. Like, you would do, you would have Dove for the anointment, and that's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And then you could do fish like just a fish in general which could be like can we move on okay. <laughs> can we okay. move on please I'm sorry you asked me and i was thought it was I... an interesting question uh listeners if you have thoughts on this please share your forward jesus story with us yep um so anyway that is an interesting way of describing that i think however my question is why can't Lucy remember it? And, like, if it is the Jesus story, like, she's growing up as a kid and, like, you know, I don't know if she, the Pevensies are growing up in a Christian family, but they're growing up in, like, 1950s England. Like, the church is going to be present. Like, she would have heard the Jesus story before. Yeah. Like, and been intimately familiar with it. So we can surmise that this is not exactly that. This is not just the Gospel of Mark or something. Um... Well, and it also it says that she finds herself in the story. Like, yes. she's in that story. So I think that it is intentionally being told as a redemption story. Mm-hmm. Because this is very much the moment where Lucy has offered to sacrifice herself to this fear, like, fearful moment of the magician. Yeah. In order to help save all of these people who have been invisible by their own shame and their own stupidity. Yeah. By having them go up and invisible themselves when they were trying to beautify themselves. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I don't know. I think that that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Because this is Lucy filling, like, a, a, a Jesus, Savior, Messiah role here. But she, we've established that she's the Holy Spirit. She can't also be Jesus. Lucy's Jesus because <laughs> they were waiting for... Uh-huh their savior from over the sea to come and go upstairs and read the thing to make them visible again. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we, we shouldn't get into like a Trinitarian argument here. Anyway. <laughs> uh, but why can't she remember the story? Why does it immediately fade from her mind? I don't know. I'm... It's like m- my only, my only thought would be that in order for the story to have power and be a refreshment of the soul, like 
it has to be something that can be told anew again and again. Okay. Like, that way it doesn't lose its power. That's it. As if you hear it for the first time every time you hear it. Yeah, that is absolutely a good way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I disagree that that's <laughs> necessary every time. I yeah. think that I think that there are very much stories that in their retelling can still be refreshing to the spirit, but I agree that there is something about a very refreshing story that is less refreshing the second time unless it wasn't refreshing the first time. Yeah. Like, it doesn't hit the same way twice, I feel. Mm-hmm. Unless there's a certain amount of, like, time removal. Mm-hmm. So, we we move on, she gets refreshed, and then we actually find the spell that she's been looking for the whole time. And she finds the spell to make hidden things visible, which... For, for consistency's sake, she does find in the book before she finds any kind of spell for reversifying an uglification. Yes. So she finds the invisible one first. Which, you know, like reversifying, as you said, <sighs> reversifying an uglification would almost be like beautifying something. Yes. However, that spell... Specifically, specifically was for one person. Yes, was for one person. Um, so a spell to make hidden things visible. She finds that... She makes sure she gets the words right. She reads the spell. Hooray. We think it worked. Man, and the page, the, all of the pictures on the page become visible. Yep. Illustrations become visible, but then lots of other invisible things might have become visible as well. And she's not sure she wants to see them. Uh, but then we hear footfalls. We do. We hear something heavy coming down the, the, the corridor. You know, because the invisible things downstairs still had footfalls. Yep. But this invisible thing that has been made visible now suddenly has footfalls. Yep. Where it didn't before. Mm-hmm. And she hears something coming On down the hallway. On the carpeted hallway where and Lucy's feet didn't make any sounds. And we know it can't be the magician because he moves around quietly. I just want to keep talking about how the magician moves around like a big cat. Uh-huh. Silently. Mm-hmm. You know. And then we have these footfalls from a big cat <laughs> not moving silently. Maybe he wanted to be heard. Am I upset? Am yeah. I getting upset? A little bit. I mean, maybe it, it's Aslan. Maybe he wanted to be heard. Maybe he wanted to announce his presence. You know, he likes making an entrance. Uh-huh. So Aslan shows up, and there no he is. No way. You mean the magician's Aslan? Maybe. Like you said in the last one? Uh, we Well, by the end of this chapter, we know for sure that it's not. I don't think. Unless Which is he... why I included that sentence yeah. in mine, in yeah. my summary. Which is, unless he's like... Now, now we must meet the master of the house. Unless he's like now talking about himself in the third person. <laughs> which would be an interesting uh, development for him. Yeah. But anyway, we meet Aslan, and she runs up and cuddles him. And then we have this really fascinating exchange. Yes. Where Aslan says, I've been here all the time, but you've just made me visible. And Lucy's just like... Nothing I could do. Yeah, like I don't have power here. Like nothing I could do to make you visible. And Aslan says it did. Do you think I wouldn't obey my own rules? Mm Mm-hmm. So this is Aslan being consistent with himself. Yes. And we, we're establishing that the magic that exists here in this world, all magic is Aslan's magic, mm. is, yeah. is, is kind of what we're saying here. And if that's the case, why are there spells in the book which seem to be against Aslan's whole deal? Like, what? Well, not necessarily evil, but things like, and he specifically calls Lucy out for using this spell to spy on her friends and find out what they really think of her. Mm-hmm. And that's against the rules. So if all Aslan... I don't know if that... So... Okay, sorry, go ahead, finish. But but if all magic is Aslan's magic, like, why is he... You know, why are things possible that he doesn't want anybody doing? You mean, why do we have free will? I think that there is an argument here that Aslan is following the rules of magic that he established. Uh Uh-huh. That does not mean that all magic is, like, create... Like, every spell is written by Aslan. Yeah. In the same way that physics is a rule of our world that some people would say is created by God. Like, mm-hmm. this is one of the rules of our world that we all follow. Now, is that a 
positive thing? Is it a negative thing? Is it a morally neutral thing? Does it actually matter? Is it something that if I push you off a cliff, did I use the rules of physics of the natural world to harm you? Yes, I did a morally wrong thing with a neutral fact about the way the world works. Mm -hmm. So I would say that this is Aslan talking about magic as if it is just a rule of the way the world works in Narnia. Interesting. I like how I came up with that example of shoving you off a cliff right away, just right off the top of my head. Like, how do I hurt someone with physics? (laughs) Well, I could shove them off a cliff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Like, so the the idea that magic is just, like, an aspect of the natural world. Yeah. And it's not, it has no moral compass associated with it. It just exists. Yeah. And you can use it for whatever. Okay. Well, I, I like that view of magic a lot. And because, I don't know, I feel like Lewis's views on magic change throughout the series. <laughs> it's like, by the time he gets up writing The Magician's Nephew, he's just like, no, magic is bad. You don't use magic unless you're corrupt and trying to have power. But even here, he's still just like, yeah, magic can be neutral and like it has good uses and bad uses and it's all about how you Yeah, but when it. it's used to get power mm-hmm. is when it harms. Right. When it's used to create a difference in power, mm-hmm. Lucy with the beauty thing to get power, Lucy with the knowledge of what her friends are thinking to be able to yeah. have power mm-hmm. in a situation where she might feel powerless yeah so anyway his approach on magic has always been fun and interesting to me so aslan admonishes lucy for using the spell and spying and then reassures her and just like yeah you judged your friend too harshly she was given into peer pressure just like she does love you etc etc yeah you know forget about Anne. she you know whatever (laughs) Uh uh-huh but Marjorie, you know. But Marjorie, she's she's good people. And then that's basically it. Yep. Uh, he he mentions, like I said before, that he is going to tell her the story that she forget forgets over and over again, and then says we must must go meet the master of the house. Which so shows that this is not the magician. Probably not. Probably not. Mm-hmm. Might not be. Yeah. The magician might be Father Christmas. <laughs> Who even knows? Uh, this is his summer home. But it seems like, I mean, it the seems like... The Duffel Puds are in the next chapter. Yeah. Duffel Puds are in the next chapter. Uh, Duffel Puds made happy, which is the very next chapter. So I'm going to go out on a limb here uh, and say the invisible folk are the Duffel Puds. Mm-hmm. Yes, they are. Cool. So that makes sense. The Duffel Puds, the invisible people, are his elves. They're Santa's elves. Apparently. Father Christmas's elves. That just repeat things. Um, cool. <laughs> so so that's what happens there. And the last thing I wanted to talk about in this chapter, and this doesn't go in the baseless speculation section because we've confirmed this is just fact in the book, is the seven deadly sins thing. And if this chapter has informed more about what this island is. And I think it has. And I think I'm going to stick with my original thought from last chapter which is this is envy and i believe it makes a lot of sense with how the book presents itself to lucy here because she sees the beautifying spell uh and in that there's kind of a tinge of jealousy or envy of susan and susan's beauty that shows up for her and then I'm trying to make it work with the the thing where she overhears her friends talking. Where also it it also seems like kind of a jealousy thing to me, maybe. Mm-hmm. Which is related to envy. Okay. Because like jealousy isn't necessarily one of the deadly sins, but like you could put that under the envy umbrella. And so, and that's tying in with what happened last chapter where uh i was like the invisible folk might be envious of the magician or there's this kind of power play at work here and the fact that he makes them all ugly maybe he was envious of them for some reason i don't know i just i can't make anything else fit all right 
because the the sins that we have left uh and i have to remind myself are envy wrath gluttony and lust what did we what did okay go ahead and like wrath gluttony and lust are not necessarily things i can fit here like lust maybe if you want to take a really broad definition of it what did we say the first island was sloth okay so we said sloth for the first island then dragon island was. isn't that gluttony or those two separate ones those are two separate sorry okay yes dragon island was pride and then the island where everything turned to gold was greed Mm -hmm. and so i want to say envy for this one just because i don't think anything else works okay but again i think our next chapter also takes place on this island so maybe the next one will inform us more about what's going on here okay we still have to meet the master and figure out what his deal is Yep, we do. Ha! So, anything else I have to say is probably going to go in the baseless speculation. What else? Uh, anything you you want to add? Um, I wanted to talk about. You were doing some research. Oh no, the research I was doing was about uh bottom Nick bottom, and then the other research I was doing was about the the four images because I did not immediately jump to this is a Jesus story. Mm-hmm. Um. And I had to Google it. And there was a bunch of speculation being like, it's the Jesus story. Yeah. So uh, there was that. Well, I was a theology major, so, you know. I also made a note in the in the margin of my book because this is the most heavily narrator-interrupted chapter of this book so far. Yes. It is constantly oh and i don't know what the bearded mirror is and i don't know what the purpose of that is because i'm not a magician and oh this and oh that and lucy thought this and i feel like it is so jarring because this is the first chapter in this book where we have exclusively followed lucy and it is so heavily interrupted and dominated by this interruption from a narrator who I interpret as being male and well actually this entire chapter Mm -hmm. being like, here, let me explain why Lucy is being involved in this at all because I know you don't want a girl in this story. Here, let me explain why girls want to look pretty. Here, let me explain why girls want to know what other girls think about them. Like, it just... Ugh, it's, uh, it makes me angry that this chapter is so much more interrupted by the narrator than any other chapter in, I feel like, any of the books. But I definitely think that there's been, like, at least one other chapter that rivaled this somewhere along the way. Can, can, I, can I, as a male, ask a question? No. Okay. Yes, you can. <laughs> as the co-host, then. Uh, would you say it is more interrupted than the first chapter, uh on dragon island where eustace climbs the hill and gets lost because i feel like in yes, eustace's it is. story because yeah. eustace is uh, everything is being shared as eustace's perspective yeah and he was wandering into the fog and he looked back and realized he didn't know how to get back and he felt lonely mm-hmm. it's all about eustace mm-hmm. this isn't all about eustace this is and let me tell you about why masks can look scary when they have no eye when they have eye holes and how you can start imagining that they're scary so i'm sure you understand why lucy was scared it's not lucy was scared of the masks because they intimidated her with their dead eyes <laughs> you know it was here let me explain fear to you as a concept of why this mask might be scary so obviously you understand why lucy would be scared uh-huh. as opposed to let me explain to you the concept of feeling lost because Eustace finally felt lost. So you can understand that Eustace felt lost. Uh-huh. It's just Eustace felt lost because Eustace is allowed to just feel things and we can relate to those feelings. Uh-huh. But Lucy's not allowed to just feel fear without every ounce of it being explained. Uh-huh. Eustace is allowed to feel fear without having to explain every aspect of it as a concept first and then being like you'd understand okay now i can tell you that he feels it yeah he's just allowed to feel things Mm -hmm. but lucy's not lucy we have to explain why it's startling to see an image of in the corner of your eye oh okay 
now now that you know how startling it can be to experience something like that just being in the corner of your eye yeah now i can tell you that lucy felt afraid because of this Mm -hmm. like she has no agency here to just feel fear yeah every piece of her fear has to be explained and like i i even in the previous chapter when they're talking about the magician and she's like, I wouldn't have to go up there at night, right? Like, that's that's the closest she gets to being allowed to be afraid without having to explain it because he doesn't explain why going upstairs in the night would be scary. Yeah. Because the invisible people are all there and they wouldn't want to go up there at night, so the fear is warranted. Yeah. Like, oh, obviously, no, we wouldn't make you do that. Yep. Like, fear, yeah, like, I just, all of her feeling agency is taken away from her, and I don't like that. Yeah, so if this, if we were still in a situation where we were rating chapters, you would not give this one a very high rating. I, <laughs> yeah, probably not. Uh, anywho. Um, yeah, anyway, so, I, I just... It's it's jarring and it's disappointing. Like You know we're almost five full books into this. Yeah, but You should Yes. Steph. However, Lewis has done a really good job with Lucy specifically throughout this whole series. Mm-hmm. And this is a moment where in my perspective as a reader, Lewis failed Lucy. Because she's not the main character of this book. It doesn't matter if she's the main character of this book. She's not the main character of any of the books. She is in a group of main characters that we're following. Well, she was the main character of Prince Caspian. She wasn't the main character of Prince Caspian. <laughs> Fight me. No, she's not. She has just as much weight of a character in this book as she does in the others. In the same way that like Caspian gets to have a whole chapter in this book. Like, she's as much of a main character as Caspian is when he's on the Lone Islands with Burn. Uh-huh. And Caspian gets to have a chapter where he is a character with agency. That's that's it. That's that's all I have to say about it. I'm disappointed in Lewis's handling and treatment of Lucy in this chapter. That's all I have to say about it. Let's go ahead and move on to our last segment. Does she come back in the silver chair? Is it better there? I cannot answer that question. <laughs> no. Hey, um, hey, Nathan, I don't know. I, I cannot <laughs> answer that question. I don't have... What, what are, you, are you looking for? Your... I'm looking for my rewrite. Okay. So. So, anyway. I'd like to move on. I've, I've said as much as I feel like I can coherently say. Our next section is when we do our rewrites. Are you okay moving on to rewrites? Sure. All right, cool. So when we do our rewrites, as Chris and I are reading through the chapters, we each choose five sentences out of the chapter and rearrange them and attempt to tell a new story with sentences from the chapter. Mm-hmm. For me, this is my one creative exercise in a week, um, and this is what I put all of my creative energy into. I write D&D campaigns. Um, Sorry to all my English professors. So, with that said, I'm going to go ahead and do my rewrite first, since you did your summary first. Sure. All right. Do you think I wouldn't obey my own rules? I'm not sure that I want to see them all. Have I spoiled everything? She said, I don't care, because she had a strong feeling that she mustn't. No, you won't. You need more nouns than that. I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. I was just like, I I do. I get feelings, but I don't know what the objects of these sentences are or it's what you're referring to. It's an emotional experience. It's very emotional. That could be like a modern art exhibit. Like, yes, it was a it was a difficult one for me to rewrite. I'm sorry, I I struggled with it. That's it. No, oh, okay. It, it made me feel a thing, so you created art. Um, Yay! Yay! Uh, would you like to hear mine? 
Sure. I mean, no, but I guess I will. (laughs) Of course I would, love. Uh Uh-huh. So mine is as follows. I will say the spell, said Lucy. As nothing happened, she began looking at the pictures. They were Marjorie Preston and Anne Featherstone. Not that they were exactly ugly, or not so very ugly, but the empty eye holes did look queer, and if you let yourself, you would soon start imagining that the masks were doing things as soon as your back was turned to them. Do you think they're human at all? Wow. That's a very Coraline. Like, I got Coraline from that. Yeah, I was Those trying to... the vibes I was getting. I was trying to lean really hard into my, my Lovecraftian horror vibes that this whole uh, scene on this island is putting off. Yeah. So, there you go. That was that was Lucy casting some sort of spell and doing something to... Uglify someone. Yeah. I like it. I like it. I got... I, I'm not kidding, though. It was very Neil Gaiman's Coraline to me. Yeah, I get you. I get you there. With, like, the button eyes. Uh, arguably better children's book. Anyway, this is not... <laughs> that's This is this <laughs> is not a Neil, Ga- Neil Gaiman uh, podcast. It's not. Yet. Hint, hint. Um, anyway. Oh, oh. <laughs> anyway. Now we're... Theoretically, our next book series is going to be what? Percy Jackson? Who writes those? I don't even know who writes those. I don't know. Um, Rick Reardon. Rick Reardon. That guy. Sure. So, we'll get there. Uh, so that being said, would you like to go into our final segment? All right, so with our summaries there, our last, uh, segment is, in fact, our basic speculation. It is the section in which Chris speculates, Mm -hmm. baselessly, because he hasn't read the books before, about what he thinks is going on. Now, we've... We've already established, based on me spoiling for Chris in this episode, on air, live, Nathan, that Chris now knows that the Duffelpuds are the invisible people. This is like this weird modern art experiment where we record a podcast for one person in particular. (laughs) And we just like... We directed the whole show at one listener. I really do like that idea. Though. We could, <laughs> could it, it quickly turn into some like very surreal horror experience. That would be. It sound like <laughs> nothing about what you've said sounds bad to me. I like this. Let's let's do more, more, more. Mm-hmm. So Nathan, here's your baseless speculation for this week. <laughs> Um, anyway, no. Um, so I was going to go a completely different direction with this earlier in the record, but then I had some of Tumnus's like magical tea and it just like, it just opened my eyes to new things. And I came up with a, with a new way. Tumnus's magical tea, huh? Yes. Tumnus's magical tea. You know, T, TMT, as they say. (laughs) Um. I, I, Tumnus is magical tea, TMT. Got it. Okay. Yeah, we got there. Got it. It wasn't like a THC reference. It was it. not. It was it was like a TNT pun. Okay. Anywho. So I came up with a new way of approaching it. So you chapter. just admitted that it was pun. Um, yes. Okay. So I came up with a new way of uh, came up with a new way of approaching this. And I wanna try to eventually get to a defense of why this island is envy okay because it's a hard one uh and it would be a hard one for any of the sins but i am committed to making this theory work and i have this feeling that we're not gonna hit three more islands in the book and i'm gonna have to like really stretch to make this happen and well the next chapter is the duffel puds made happy yeah okay go ahead go ahead yes uh, I have a feeling we're not going to hit three more islands, so I'm going to have to really stretch to make this happen, and I've already been coming up with ideas to fit that, like, oh, the encounter with the sea monster could be gluttony because the sea monster wants to eat them, 
and you know the the little unnamed island that had the burned out huts from you know the dragon attack that was uninhabited maybe that was actually a wrath because the the dragon's wrath destroyed it wow. so i have you've got some good you got some good stuff going yeah so i have backups in case we don't get there however really want to make this island envy and so i have a roundabout way of getting there okay now what have we found out so far about the island and its inhabitants and this magician that controls it uh we have found out that there are this not necessarily deformed but maybe non-human servant race that that lives on this island and he was either maybe brought there by the magician or not necessarily created but like subjugated by the magician somehow Okay. And they were they were they're they're serving him, uh, and they're not quite human, and they have a very odd pattern of speech. And about the magician, we know like he's very powerful, he's eccentric, like he has all these weird artifacts in his house. Uh, he has this very well manicured kind of garden island. Uh, he, you know, is this enigmatic figure whose like real goals we don't really understand. Mm-hmm. And has, for for his own mysterious purposes, uh, either subjugated or you know, found a way of controlling this, you know, group of, of weird non-human creatures that, the you know, he has a tenuous relationship with. And the non-human creatures have not necessarily abducted, but... Um, brought brought the the adventuring party into the fold here. So there's this collection of people that go onto the island, like Caspian, Edmund, Lucy, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and they get. I'm trying to think of a word here. It's not abducted. They get uh get roped into roped this into this fold. plot yeah. this plot um by these non-human creatures. And so when you when you put all these things together, it starts sounding very much like another story which I'm familiar with, and you'll probably be familiar with, that uh, was I was written, I believe, after this one, I think. We have to check on that. So it, it might have been inspired by this. But I'm speaking, of course, of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, uh, where we have... <laughs> the <laughs> you didn't think I was going there, did you? So we have the enig- the enigmatic figure of Willy Wonka, who is the magician here, okay. and and his race of of non human servants. Mm-hmm. That if you get into the lore of Willy Wonka, uh, he always claims that you know he basically rescued them. He is the white savior of this indigenous race of folk, who is just like you know they came from this harsh land that they were like you know, constantly in fear of their lives. And he came in and rescued them and gave them purpose and gave them work in his factory. Mm-hmm. And they're quote unquote happier that way. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the magician is doing here. Like maybe he found the, you know, the duffel puds on this island or whatever. And he's just like, I have a better way of life for you. I'm going to give you purpose and you're going to work for me. Mm-hmm. And you're going to like build me this grand manor full of all my magical, you know, tinkerings and artifacts and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so the, you know, the, the invisible folk, like the duffel puds here, very much like Oompa Loompas. Okay. It's like they have this very strange manner of speech, like they're very, like, chanty. Mm-hmm. You know, they... Are, you're, you act like you're trying to convince me. You're sitting here making hand motions at me like you're trying to get me to go along with this. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love you. I love you. Finish this. Um... I'm getting there. And so, in summation, how does that relate to Envy? I think... I don't know, Chris. Tell us. The whole point of this segment is for me to, like, throw crap at a wall and see what sticks to it. Like, you don't have to be mad at me for throwing crap at a wall. Just just actually throw it instead of describing the plate to me that the pie (laughs) is on. Just throw the pie. Well, the, the serving vessel is important. So, in throwing the pie... Did you hear I, me roll my eyes, listeners? I think 
what the magician here is, the magician is the one that is envious. It's not the devil puds. He is envious that they have been able to adapt to this purpose, whether it's the, the one he wanted to give them or not is that they have contentment and they have purpose and they have this singular mindset where they know exactly what they want to do and where they want to be. Like, you know, they have their leader and they're following right behind him and they're just like, yeah, water's wet, cool. And like, we'll go right behind this guy. Like, they don't question things in life. They don't have doubts. They don't, you know, suffer depression. They have absolute certainty. And that's what he's jealous of. And that's what he's envious of. And... That's why he he casts the alcification spell. And it's just like, you know what? I'm going to throw your world into disarray because I'm tired of the certainty that you have that I don't experience. Mm-hmm. Because the magician is a person who's constantly trying to look for things. Like, that's why he has this book of spells. It's like, ooh, tell me what people think of me. Or, like, make me the most beautiful person in the world. Or et cetera, et cetera. Like, he is a man of wants. Okay. And so... He's envious uh, of of certainty and of contentment, and that's that's what this island's all about. All right. So that's my vaguely coherent rant about this about chapter. This <laughs> Got it. Responses, thoughts. Nope. nope, you've already gotten my responses. Can you can you make me feel less crazy by saying something to that? <laughs> Duffel buds are oompa loompas. Mm-hmm. can confirm does it, does it make a certain kind of sense though it makes plenty of sense um so <laughs> in the last <coughs> please don't die we get covid dying, round two today dying i'm dying live on the air <laughs> we get we get covid round two today you need to not have a fever that's correct um mm. all right Dear listeners, if you uh, if you agree with Chris that uh, Oompa Loompas and Duffel Puds are the same, then uh, you can tweet at us, or you could comment on Facebook at Chronically Podcasts on Facebook or Instagram, or at Chronically Pod on Twitter, and you can use the hashtag Not All Duffel Puds, and. <laughs> If you disagree with Chris about whether or not Duffel Puds and Oompa Loompas are the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could also email us your fan art of the uh, empty eye holes of the masks at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening today. Oh, or or I was going to say, please send us a story about a cup of sword, a tree, and a green hill. Or a cup of sword, a tree, and a green hill stories. Those those would also be accepted and then shared on the air. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, a non-Jesus story. Yeah. About a cup of sword, a tree, and a green hill. All right. So, <laughs> thank you so much for listening today. Uh, if you cannot get enough of the sound of our voices, you can also hear more from us at uh, podcast Carpe DM, spelled Carpe D-M. It's a pun. Uh, and that is our D&D podcast, which Chris <laughs> is the DM of. And I am just a, a lowly bard playing my loot. A lowly bard? No, you're, you're, you're the life of this show. I am the life of the party, Bard. Um, you can also send us money, if you feel like it, at patreon.com slash chronicallypodcast, where you will eventually get to listen to us discuss The Hobbit. We're working on that. Are we? Yeah. Because we haven't even recorded that yet. I have a job now, so it's harder <laughs> Chris recently got a job, so this whole podcast thing has become more difficult uh-huh. because, you know, work. If you want me to devote myself full time to this podcast and quit my job, please pay us on Patreon. Yeah. Um, you can do that. We need to hit our Patreon goal of $5,000 a month and I can quit my job and devote myself to this full time. Yep. Uh. That's, uh, I, I, I can second that. Yep cool um 
Do you have some wisdom for us to close this out, I do, I do. My wisdom is that if you find a spell in a book, don't read it out loud if you are a young girl. But otherwise, feel free to read it. And also, don't ask what your friends think of you unless you really, really want to know. I mean, like, I don't ask what my friends think of me anyway, so. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, uh, you know, do the thing I said earlier about not reading spells. Yep. Bye. See ya. What? The podcast. Hmm. Well, you're also not a young girl, so none of this. Well. Hmm. Um. Hmm. No. No. Okay. No. Sorry. I thought I dug myself a hole there. Anyway, let's get. You. You did not. So you have heard it here, folks. You, you are incapable of saying heard it here first, folks. You've heard it here first, folks. You've heard it here first, folks. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Blatant plagiarism. <laughs> you are just a bundle of laughs that brightens my world. <laughs> Am I upset? Am I getting upset? A little bit. Water. It's powerful wet stuff. <laughs> Getting dark now. Always does it, right? Yep. <laughs> Plane. And helicopter action. Plane helicopter. A plane helicopter.